Well, good morning there, friends. Yeah, this is a different sound than the one you're normally listening to as you listen to the replay of the previous night's Late Kick Live. Just wanted to drop in here and, as I said, wish you a good morning and also let you know the Big Ten news broke this morning, obviously after this recording. So you're going to hear me have a lot of gray area to start the show briefly about the Big Ten that doesn't make a lot of sense. If you want to see the full Late Kick reaction to the Big Ten news, it will be up on the YouTube channel within the next oh, hour or so. So chances are, if you're listening to this, by that point, the video will be up. It's a great rest of the show, though. We had a lot of information packed in. So enjoy. Thanks for listening. And hey, drop a five-star review while you're here. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, September 15th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Jam-packed as jam-packed can be tonight. I am Josh Pate. Thank you so much for being tuned in. We were looking in the control room, Colin and I, Director Colin and I were looking at the numbers from the Sunday show before we came in here tonight. Just record traffic. Every metric that we keep track of, you guys broke it Sunday night. So thank you from the bottom of our huge hearts around here. Thank you so much for that. We have got a whole lot to get to tonight. I told you in the chat, if you're watching live right beforehand, I hope if no Big Ten news is broken by the time we hit the top of the hour, they just kind of hit the pause button. I think they hit the pause button, so fingers crossed nothing happens in the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, we'll try and talk about it if it does, though. Subscribe here, like the video, click the bell for notifications. You know the drill. The Late Kick Extra podcast, we released a new one of those this morning. It's a really good mailbag feature where it's just uh, it's exclusive to the podcast feed, so subscribe there if you haven't already. We had some good questions about head coaches, some good questions about hurricanes and storm chasing, so everything in between. Uh, we have got our first game breakdown tonight. We're going to do that in just a few minutes. We're going to hit the mood tracker, which will be a weekly feature here. Also going to eh, briefly hit on the Big Ten. Not a whole lot of Big Ten because there's not a whole lot to talk about. We have also, before we go off the air tonight, got our second of five official plays on the Roman Noodle Express to deliver all that plus what I think is probably a tough reality, tough truths that have to be accepted by some programs who are of the opinion that if we just get rid of our head coach, we can go snatch Billy Napier. Uh, some programs may fit that description, but there may be an alarmingly large pool of you who think you could just go get a guy like Billy Napier and Maybe it wouldn't quite be that easy. So we're going to dive into this uh, quickly. I mean, this is not going to take a minute. Uh, the Big Ten, there's really nothing new to talk about. Like, we had it slotted, and we were ready, and Colin had all the lower thirds ready to go. But thus far, we don't really have anything to talk about. It is widely speculated at this point by people who, well, we trust that we're going to have some news coming eventually. But then again, we've been saying that every show for the past three weeks now. Uh, I guess if you just keep saying it, eventually it'll be true. Uh, that's a strategy that's worked out in the past, so hopefully it works out here. I mean, there's smoke, so eventually I think we will hear something, and what I think we'll get is an October 17th start to the Big Ten season. That's what I think we'll get. I never assume anything. I have learned that, if I've learned nothing else, from following this. So I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on that. I had a, speaking of the Late Kick Extra podcast, Colin, I had a, a Jessica, I think it was, submitted a question that said, why do you talk about Big Ten so much? They're not even playing football. We're playing football here at Mississippi State in a couple of weeks. She was a Bulldog fan. And so I explained it. So if you haven't already listened to this morning's podcast, go check it out. 
All right, it's mood tracker time, and this will be on 247sports.com tomorrow morning as well. It's going to be a weekly feature there, but I wanted to do it on the show tonight, and I wanted to specifically touch on a few programs. All of these teams have already played at least one game. And what we do with the mood tracker, we did some of this in preseason, but just to remind you of the concept, we take an entire fan base and we chop off the fringe 10%. All the eternal optimists, all the eternal pessimists, they're out of here. We take the remaining 80%, kind of a silent majority of the fan base, what are they feeling? And you got to get inside the fan base. You got to be on the ground with these people. And what are you feeling right now as it relates to your program? Sometimes, if you deliver a true mood tracker on a team, it's surprising because perception is not always reality down on the ground. So I wanted to start tonight with Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a program that, besides Bama, Clemson, like Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, uh, recently LSU, there's no one else ahead of Notre Dame. Notre Dame has had multiple double-digit win seasons in a row at this point. Brian Kelly just got extended. This is a program that is very, very good. I would argue they're on as good a foundation right now as they've been in years, maybe even decades. So they're in a good position. But Notre Dame fans, still not all that thrilled with what they saw Saturday. It was a good solid win over Duke, but here's what they're thinking now. They're tired of being pretty good. And that's why I put Notre Dame's mood at drowning in goodness. It sounds great to drown in goodness. Drowning in water is terrible. Drowning in goodness, doesn't that sound great? No, it sounds good. They want great. They want to drown in greatness, not goodness. And goodness right now equals, we're probably, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, we're going to be favored against every other team we play, but it doesn't matter because we match up horribly with Clemson. And when Clemson comes in here, they're going to be a double-digit favorite against us. And how in the world are we going to move the ball down the field against that defense? We're not explosive enough. That's the word that keeps coming to the forefront with most Notre Dame fans that I've spoken with, looked at the uh, Irish Illustrated message board over there. And let me first say, I understand the frustration, so I'm not knocking you guys, but I just want to let you know, and I think most of you already do know, the explosive elements you want to see in the offense, they may come, but I think they're going to come in the form of Tyler Buckner, who is a current senior or a rising senior in high school who will be in the Irish's 2021 signing day class if he stays committed, which I think he will. He's the guy who could deliver that. Ian Book pretty much got, pretty much got what you got there. So that explosive element, just think this through quickly before we move on. I don't really think necessarily that's something you see this year, nor do I think it's something Brian Kelly is really even given serious consideration to. What I think Brian Kelly does is I think he looks at his team and he says, all right, the way that we currently do things is good enough to probably beat everyone we play except Clemson. If I were to try and radically alter something to maybe raise our reward proposition at the risk of uh, really widening the gap in the risk-reward proposition, we could lose a couple of games from turning the ball over. And so I think he is content to stand pat right now. It equals a really good season. It equals a New Year's Six game. Like That's the level you probably play at. And that's not the worst thing in the world. But yet, it makes it no less difficult for Notre Dame fans to look around and say, look what Clemson's doing. Look what Alabama's doing. Ohio State, if they play, look what they're doing. Why can't we be that? You can, just not necessarily in 2020. As for Florida State, I want to talk about a program and a fan base that would trade places with you guys in South Bend in a hot second. I've got Florida State's mood as a flip the map mode. Flipping the map. A lot of you have gone digital on your directions and whatnot, but if you've ever held a paper map in your hand and you thought you knew where you were going, but then you pull in to where the dot on the map is and then you realize, oh, I'm nowhere close to where I thought I was. 
That was kind of Florida State fans coming out of Saturday. It's not that anyone expected to win a national championship this year or the ACC, but they expected to see something a lot better than what they saw when the Knowles played against Georgia Tech and lost at Doak 16-13. And you, caught, you saw it on those ISO crowd shots towards the end of the game, further confirmed by talking to a bunch of Seminole fans. It's just we thought we were closer. Now, I haven't seen a whole lot of people hating on Mike Norvell. I mean, there's been criticism of the garden variety, but, you know, it's none of the fire this bum. Now, we, what did we get here? No, it's not that. It would be very stupid to think that way. To me, it would be very foolish to think that way. You wouldn't get in a car. I've been driving back and forth on the weekends sometimes from Nashville to Columbus, where I grew up, and that's about a five-hour drive. If I didn't get to Columbus in an hour and a half, I wouldn't get out and start kicking the side of the car. The car did everything it could. It's impossible unless you've got wings on the side of that car to get from here to there in an hour and a half. It's also impossible to get FSU where you want them to be this year. Just impossible. Now, what you hope is you hope you don't have to torch the entire thing and start from scratch. And I don't think they have to do that. Maybe culturally, there's some issues to take care of. I don't think the roster's in a place where, oh man, we got to overhaul everything. But the quick fix is not the right fix at Notre Dame or at uh, Florida State and really anywhere, to be honest with you. So just give it some time there. Uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world to tell people, but flip the map mode at Florida State. Now, as for Texas, Texas, I have listed in smell test mode. Since we were using cars metaphorically, let's go back to it. If you've ever test driven a car, if you ever rented a car, you get in there. One of the first things you want to do is you want to smell the car. You're trying to catch a scent. You're like a bloodhound. You're trying to catch a scent for maybe water damage or maybe a smoker has been in here recently. And if that's the case, you know, you're cautiously optimistic, but yet you just want to make sure everything checks out and it is as meets the eye. And that's kind of the way a lot of Texas fans are. They've been burned before buying in. They've been burned recently buying in to the degree that they are now very tempted to buy into again. I got this team winning the Big 12. I got them going to the playoff. I've bought in. I think a lot of Texas fans, ironically enough, have been a little more hesitant than I have been. But there's a lot of optimism there because if it is, as it appears on the surface, this is such an opportune moment for Texas. You got the experience and talent at quarterback, the running backs. We've talked about Texas personnel ad nauseum. But if it is as it appears, then you quickly shift from smell test mode to like brimming optimism mode. That's why we do this segment every week. And lastly, the Clemson Tigers, just full on airplane mode at, at a Clemson. That's probably the mode I would be in if I were a Clemson fan too. You are light years above and beyond anything else in your conference right now. Probably the only top 10 caliber test that currently is on your schedule is Notre Dame. And that game is uh, November 7th, and that's at Notre Dame. And so as we sit here today, it is uh, September 15th. It's airplane mode. You don't necessarily have to be asleep, but when you're on an airplane, you're kind of spaced out. And the next time you are really going to be fully cognitive and dialed in if you're not doing work is when you start your descent. And that'd be exactly the way I was if I were a Clemson fan. I'm excited now. I'm watching every game. Don't get me wrong. And I'm checking the roster and I'm checking the message boards and I'm updated every day, but I don't feel challenged or threatened until at least November 7th. I really don't. And so I'd be kind of in airplane mode. I'm so pleased with where we are. I love our quarterback. I love everything about our team. I love our young talent, that defensive line talent, insane. We've got our head coach in Dabo Sweeney talking about how this is the most talented roster we've had here. Like, what's not to like? The only thing that you don't like, 
ironically is what people think is great about the Clemson job. It's the lack of competition, which is not their fault, of course. But I'll tell you, to be honest, it's one of the main reasons we don't talk Clemson more on the show. What do you talk about? You're talking about whether they're going to win by four or five touchdowns Saturday. That's what you talk about. And so not Clemson's fault again. Airplane mode. That's where they are right now. All right, it is time to do our first game breakdown of the year. Most game weeks, you know, especially when the SEC cranks up, we'll have two, three, maybe even four spotlight games per week. This week we have one spotlight game, but this is kind of how it'll work. I'm going to break it down, and then at the very end, Colin's going to show you the game capsule, and it's going to show the Vegas line. It's showing what we think internally here. We generate our own number on every game. But just kind of some thoughts here. Don't take 15 or 20 minutes. We hardly ever do unless it's a national championship game. But last week, both of these teams played. Louisville played Western Kentucky. They won 35-21. Miami played UAB in the Thursday night game. It was 31-14. I watched every snap of both of these games in preparation for this week. So it's a really good quarterback matchup, and most of you probably already know the names there. You got Derek King, who was the transfer from Houston, playing at Miami now. And you got Mikhail Cunningham, who is a pretty big time, but also still emerging talent, I would call him, at Louisville. And a lot of people, if you want to set the context in sort of the backdrop, if you're more of the storyline crowd, which is fine, you probably look at this and you frame it as you got Clemson, Notre Dame this year, and the ACC, and. And then there's this big blank. And that's a blank that is reserved for whoever's going to fill in and populate behind those two teams and be somewhat of a threat in the ACC. Because the first thing I thought when I looked at this matchup is, obviously someone is emerging from this game 2-0 does not mean they'll be any kind of prime contender. It may mean that their profile is artificially inflated, or it could mean that they're legitimate. That's why they play the game. So Louisville's got a lot of excitement about this team. Louisville, I think a lot of what is good about Louisville, their strengths perfectly overlap with what is perceived as a vulnerability with Miami, which has you concerned probably in this game if you're a Canes fan, and that is that Louisville passing attack. They got a really good blend of skill and size at that wide receiver core. They are very, very good. They're very versatile. They're very deep there. So I looked at that game they played last week against Western Kentucky, and the numbers were pretty good for Cunningham. I'm going to get to that in a second. But if he, he being Mikhail Cunningham, if he has time to operate, and if he has pinpoint accuracy in this one, that's a big deal. Now, that sounds commonsensical, but the reason I bring those two traits up is because last week, where are his numbers? 19 for 34, 343 yards, three scores and a pick. That was Mikhail Cunningham's line against Western Kentucky. Looks pretty good. That, that's good enough to beat Miami, I would think. But then you go back and watch the game, and there were some very ill-advised balls. I think even Scott Satterfield and Cunningham would admit if they – were off the record with you, he threw some very ill-advised balls, and they went for big gains. And so you watch that, and that's great. That doesn't impact the final of that game, whether they should have been picked or shouldn't have been picked. Bottom line is they weren't. But that's stuff that eventually burns you if you don't rectify it. So accuracy, that's why I'm talking about accuracy so much. That's why I'm talking about good decisions, because you figure better pass rush, better athlete on the field by far this Saturday when you play Miami, less time and more harassment consistently all night is probably what you look at if you're Mikhail Cunningham. So because of that, and because of the differentiating styles that I think Miami versus Louisville will try to incorporate here, it's very important if you're like a totals better, and we are strongly considering a move on the total in this game. I'm waiting till later in the week for it. Uh, we're against the public on it, I can tell you that. Whoever grabs the 
early momentum, if you want to call it momentum, whoever dictate, dictates terms early in this game probably could swing that total 20 points, three touchdowns, 24 points. The reason is because of this. That team, that home team, that red team there, Louisville, full-on track meet mode. That's exactly what they want. They want to go up and down the field all night, and they don't even care. 45-second drive, so be it. That's just the quicker we're going to get back out on this field again. Louisville wants a track meet. It is the exact opposite of what Miami wants. And they've got an advantage here that they really need to take advantage of. And that advantage is size, and that advantage is overall athleticism. They have the edge there through the Miami Hurricanes over Louisville. Cameron Harris, for example, running back from Miami, had a pretty good game statistically last week. He's the kind of guy that needs to shine here. It's the kind of thing where on Sunday when you're doing your reviews and you're handing out your performance of the week accolades, Cameron Harris and or Derek King, maybe a, a multi-threat there, but Cameron Harris needs to be a guy who's gone 130, 140, a couple of scores, you know, churned out a nice solid game, yards per carry average really high. If that's the way that thing starts, then I feel good about the way we lean. So now here's what I want Colin to do. We're going to show that game capsule, and then I'm going to dive you into the prediction here and how we go about doing things. So the game capsule on this one, again, we have the Vegas number, and that currently, as we went on air tonight, is Louisville minus 2.5. Our numbers, and we simulate that thing out over 100 times, so that's how we arrive at our number with our own a very properly weighted specific criteria is... Miami minus one and a half. We're on the other side of zero here. We think the wrong team is favored. So you watch who gets off that field on third down because you got a couple of quarterbacks here who can make it happen. Broken plays or not. Third and seven, making it happen. And I think uh, nine of 16 last week were the Louisville Cardinals on third down. Really, really important there. I'll tell you another thing. Talk about hidden yardage in virtually every game, but Louisville had a nightmarish time of it in the special teams department last week. They set Western Kentucky up first and goal inside the 10 a couple of times. That's why that score was a lot closer, really, than it should have been. So what does that have to do with this week? Well, the reason that I think we lean Miami and the reason I'm going to lean Miami here, I'm taking Miami straight up to win the game, so I'll take them plus the 2.5 as well. The reason I lean that way is because I love the athletic advantage they have, but more specifically, matchup-wise, really love the disruption that I think, even minus Greg Rousseau, they'll be able to get up front. And therefore, you just keep repetition, repetition, repetition. You keep forcing rushed throws. You keep a nervous pocket there. And eventually, you cash in on two or three bad decisions that were made last week and Louisville didn't have to pay for. You do that. And you also, I think, have a pretty good edge on special teams. That is what at least we're thinking is going to be enough for Miami to come out with the win in Louisville and to move to 2-0 on the season. So give us the Canes straight up and give the Canes plus 2.5 to us as well to cover. Now let's talk about teams that haven't started playing yet. SEC Whispers and Intel has been one of the most fun segments we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Really weird dynamic, obviously. These teams haven't started. Everyone else has. So I want to dive right in, and this is just leveraging our network of team insiders and trying to find the stuff that's beneath the surface. It's not necessarily on the headline or the crawl on ESPN when you're watching, but it's really important because this is the stuff in reality that's going to go a long way in shaping and determining the outcome of this season. I got to be honest with you, I'm kind of worried about Tennessee beneath the surface. Everyone knows about the, you know, the positive case numbers and how they haven't been able to practice, but really, do you? Let me give you a quote from Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt, asked, after they had, I think, a scrimmage Saturday, uh, he was, I'm going to paraphrase him, I don't know the exact quote, he said, I was kind of pumped because we only had 34 players out tonight. Not 3.4, ladies and gentlemen, 34. 
missed practice Saturday, and that was a good occurrence for Tennessee. And he talked about having to go two weeks into the season in camp mode. Now, I want to reiterate that for those in the back of the room who may not have heard it the first time. Jeremy Pruitt, head coach of Tennessee, is openly telling the media. This is not even some internal thought. He's just openly telling the media, we've had to adjust our structure and our scheduling so much that we're just going to have to be in camp mode for like the first two weeks of the season. They're still two weeks away from starting their season, by the way. That shows you how far behind developmentally in a lot of ways they feel they are. And let me ask you this question rhetorically as we move on from Tennessee. The reason it's so concerning, aside from the obvious, is one of the same things Orgeron's dealing with at LSU. We're going to talk about the Tigers in just a second. This sounds kind of simple, but it's not. It's anything but simple. If you've ever coached, I would assume you know what I'm about to say is not simple. When do you know you have a football team? When do you have the team? I'm not asking you, when are all the players in the locker room? When do you have a team? A collection of dudes is not a team. A team is kind of a living, breathing organism that the sum hopefully is more than the collection of the parts in some cases. You have a glue, an intangible, and that's what a team is. There's an identity, there's a chemistry, there's a cohesion, there's a synergy. How do you have that? How could you possibly expect Tennessee to have that right now? For that matter, how could you possibly expect LSU to have it? When will they have it? That's the question. Because Pruitt says all the right things about being excited about the personnel, and I'm sure he is. I don't think he's bluffing there. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would bluff. He's been trashing his defensive line publicly, so if he hands out accolades, I'm sure he means them. But I don't know, does Tennessee have their football team yet? I mean, that's, that's the kind of question we're sitting here asking in mid-September. At South Carolina, Missouri, at Georgia. That's the first three for Tennessee. At Auburn, we have called them and still refer to them as the biggest mystery team in the SEC, maybe the country. Out of all the Power Five teams in the country this year, they are the most high-profile team that we know the least about. A lot of people are excited about year two of Bo Nix at quarterback. A lot of people, understandably so, excited about Chad Morris coming in as their offensive coordinator. you got Seth Williams and hopefully some other guys that emerge at wide receiver. You've upgraded, again, hopefully, the passing game you got several options, you think, at running back. DJ Williams and Shivers, a Tank Bigsby, kid from Callaway High School. I covered a lot when he was in high school. All this is great, but it's also irrelevant if you don't have the offensive line figured out. And I'm telling you, even the people that I've always been able to lean on to glean some inside intel away from Auburn, they are total shruggy emoji right now. They are hands up in the air when you ask them about the offensive line. We don't know. We don't know. We have no clue. Like, we hear some things, but... You know, it's kind of one rumor forward, two rumors back. We have no clue what to expect. Now, I can tell you being close to Auburn, the 2020 offensive line has been a fear of theirs for two years. They were, I'm kidding, I'm not kidding you, 2018 season, knowing what they didn't have taken care of in that year's recruiting class and knowing how senior-laden they were going to be in 2019, people were already looking at 2020 and saying, we need to get it done in 2019 because that 2020 year is going to be, whew, it's going to be a kind of a rebuilding year unless we have uh, just these massive amounts of transfers come in. And they, they've had one or two, but it hasn't been the likes of which you do to completely retool your offensive line. So again, quarterback, offensive coordinator, running back depth, a couple of emerging names at receiver, upgraded passing concepts, all that's great if you got time to operate. If you don't, you got the same frustration and you got the same concerns that you have found yourself having in several years under Gus Malzahn. So that for is one of a number of reasons, to be honest with you, we call them our mystery team of 2020.
Could go eight and two, could go five and five. Neither would shock me. LSU has now entered, they are past the opt-out phase. LSU is now so deep into the drama down there, they have now entered opt-in phase. Okay, I'm old enough to remember when the biggest concern at LSU was players opting out. Now, we have players opting in. The same guys that you dog cussed up and down, off the record, anonymously, I saw you guys, when they were opting out, well now, it's, you know what, maybe I was wrong about him. He, on, in retrospect, he is much more of a high character guy than I thought. I kid, only if I'm actually describing you, in which case, shameful. What are we talking about here, if you haven't been paying attention? Neil Farrell, who opted out a few weeks ago, is back. He's opted back in. I don't know what changed in the life of Neil Farrell, but he's opted back in, so I don't care what changed. I'm glad he's back. Now, whether he starts or whether he's a rotational guy, that remains to be seen. Probably has a lot to do with his weight, because I can tell you right now, Bo Pelini's not starting 320-pound defensive ends. That's not happening. So if he's you know, a little heavier, probably going to slide him inside, put him on the edge if he can get conditioned and down to where he needs to be. Point being, it adds critically needed depth. I think he was the leader for them in total stops last year. So at the very least, this is a very good sign. However, is that all? Is this all that's going to happen down there? Because now I'm looking over at Go 24-7 and Shay Dixon and Sonny and the guys over there. Uh, also rumors circulating that maybe Tyler Shelvin wants to come back. Ed Orgeron at his presser, I think today, shared with the media that I have talked with Tyler Shelvin's parents. I haven't really heard from Tyler Shelvin, though. It's so weird. It's like if, if you were going to transfer from one school to another in fifth grade and you know your parents are kind of doing the groundwork for you, you're only in fifth grade, so I mean, what are you going to do, call the principal up? That's kind of the way this feels. Only Tyler Shelvin's full-grown man now. And I don't know, he's, Orgeron said he's reached out to some of his teammates. Who knows what's happening there? But here's what I do know. I do know Ed Orgeron has continued on this quasi-crusade against Dave Aranda. I don't know what kind of lunch money that Aranda took from Orgeron, but he needs to return it. Because we had again today, Ed Orgeron, quote on Dave Aranda, our defense is so much better now than any part of last season. <laughs> he said you know, I like Dave Aranda and all. He gave the, the classic caveat in the follow-up there. But basically, he this has been a theme. If you followed LSU, even semi-followed them, uh, this is not new. Like, Orgeron has consistently said and maintained, even though we're losing all these players and we're bringing in a new defensive coordinator and we're switching to an even-man front and we didn't have spring, he has been adamant. And he knows his program better than I, so far be it for me to question him. He's been adamant. We are way better defensively now than we were last year. Like, I have a hard time believing that. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. I have a hard time believing that. Colin, one of our stars just fell. I need to not be so animated out here. I hope that's not an omen. Anyway, I have a hard time believing that. But then again, having watched Alabama shut out Joe Burrow and company two seasons ago, I had a hard time believing they were going to nearly hang half a hundred on Alabama the following year. And they didn't have much problem doing that, did they? So, I've learned not to question Ed Orgeron. But... Fascinating times in Baton Rouge, and they feel, and maybe this is not breaking news, they feel a whole lot more confident in themselves than anyone outside of LSU, and that's a common theme from this time last year, too. Again, maybe I didn't learn this lesson last year because I would really have to see LSU contend in the West this year. I've told you, as much as I believed in them last year, that is a tough road to hoe this particular year, uh, as much as I may believe in them in the future. I'm the same way with Oklahoma this year, the team that they eviscerated in the semifinal game. 
love their future, just specific dynamics have come into play where this year may be questionable a little bit. But to, if LSU goes 7-3 and three this year, to me that is a heck of a season. That's a heck of a job. So we'll see. Uh, we had a question that I wanted to get to. I was recording this morning the Late Kick Extra podcast, which is available now for download anywhere. It's exclusive to the podcast. We don't put that on the YouTube channel. So if you haven't already, check it out. Subscribe. The five-star reviews, we're trying to get to 1,000. That's our next goal. So keep those coming, and thank you so much for those. Um, I want to ask you something that Cliff asked me. And the question was simply this. I was looking at it, and I said, you know, Colin, should I put this in, or should I push it to the show tonight? And Colin didn't respond because he was probably asleep. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning. But had he been awake, he would have said, push it to the show tonight. So I did. Cliff asked this question. This has become a very popular question in Columbia, South Carolina. Cliff said, is there a better than 50% chance that Billy Napier is the head coach at South Carolina next year? Basically, the thinking is, Will Muschamp is a dead man walking. Billy Napier just went and upset Iowa State. He was one of already the hottest G5 future Power 5 head coaching names on the market. And now his stock is soaring and we're going to have an opening here. My answer is no. I don't think the odds are above 50%. I think that'd be pretty foolish to say this time in the season. Even if you were to guarantee me Muschamp's not going to make it to the end of the year, I don't know that I would say the odds are above 50%. And I'm going to tell you why. And this one's not going to be an easy segment. Because I think there are some difficult truths that we have to face, not just at South Carolina, a few different programs. So I want to give you the backstory. Yesterday, I want to say it was yesterday, and I want to say it was the Paul Feinbaum show. Napier goes on the Feinbaum show, and he was asked about this. And I didn't listen to the interview live. I've seen the quotes, though. I retweeted one of them with a comment. And I said, or he said, rather, he being Billy Napier said, you know, he was asked about taking a, a bigger job. And this last year, you know, folks in the industry, it's pretty widely known now, he had an opportunity with the Vanderbilt job, with the Ole Miss job, and he turned him down. That's right, not the head coach at Louisiana State University, the head coach at Louisiana turned those jobs down. And he said, it just wasn't quite time for my next job. That's what he said. So the backstory was as follows. Vandy, Ole Miss, and who knows who else gave overtures behind the scenes. But th guys, those are two SEC jobs that he had a shot at and kind of declined and said, no, I'm good. I'll stay here in Lafayette. All right. He said no. How crazy does that sound to you? Ten years ago, it would have been insane. Borderline unheard of. What changed? I'm going to tell you what changed. The names are Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day. When those guys as their first shot at a head coaching job, got Georgia and Oklahoma and Ohio State, respectively, I can't stress in strong enough terms behind the scenes how much that changed this industry. Changed it forever. So now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a Billy Napier or a Mike Norvell this time last year. Had been at Memphis for a little while. Here is what people talk about behind the scenes. People in the agent world and the coaching representation world and the assistant coach, coordinator, and head coaching world. I'm going to tell you the example they use is Chad Morris. Rewind to 2014. Chad Morris is at Clemson. He is Dabo Swinney's head, or he's kind of co-offense coordinator there, but he is the hot name at that point. A guy by the name of Deshaun Watson is in the process of coming into the program, okay? Well, Morris is in the process of exiting he takes the head coaching job at SMU, does a pretty good job at SMU. Then Arkansas comes calling, and he takes the Arkansas job. 
and now he's the offensive coordinator at Auburn a couple of years later. And the reason is because it was a no-win situation at Arkansas. They did not have any kind of infrastructure or proper resources in place to compete with and fulfill expectations, the likes of which they have at Alabama and LSU. It was, it was not going to happen there. With the current setup, it was not going to happen there. Okay, So Chad Morris took the shot, took the risk, and right now he is at a job the equivalent to which he was at six years ago. So now the representation for these next up-and-coming hotshot coordinators and maybe G5 head coaches, they have looked at that. And they have given strong guidance to their head coaches and they're represented their clients. And they've said, this is not 1993. You don't have to cut your teeth at a lower tier job anymore. You can wait. You're getting paid handsomely, much more handsomely at G5 spots than you used to get paid at mid-tier P5 spots. Wait, wait, wait. And so while it would have sounded crazy a generation ago to be at Louisiana and turn down Ole Miss... It's not crazy anymore because once Kirby Smart did what he did, first-time head coach, Georgia, top five program in America. Once Lincoln Riley did what he did, first-time head coach, Oklahoma, top five, top 10 program in America. Ryan Day, how about right out of the gate, Ohio State, top three program in America. Once that happened, it hit the reset button on the entire industry. And now guys look around and say, I'm not going somewhere where I am not being given an elite ceiling. You go to Ole Miss, you go to Arkansas. Right now, it is unrealistic to think that you're going to compete year in and year out against Alabama, and you're not going to be given Alabama resources. It would be totally different if you had all the tools at your disposal at Ole Miss or Arkansas, Alabama does. You don't. So the thinking is, I don't have to take a job to work my way up to one of the premier spots. I can just wait for one of the premier spots to open up. And now we circle back around to how this whole thing started. Cliff asked me, about Billy Napier potentially being the next South Carolina head coach. And so I'm going to rhetorically ask you, Cliff, and I'm going to ask a lot of guys. I'll be on Mark Ryan's show tomorrow up in South Carolina, and we'll probably talk about this. And he's going to ask me about Billy Napier and that name being floated around South Carolina. And I will say tomorrow exactly what I'm saying right now. Do you think that the South Carolina job, as we sit here tonight, present day, do you think it fits the description that Billy Napier is looking for in order to make that move. Ole Miss didn't, okay? Vanderbilt certainly didn't. So I'm going to rhetorically ask you guys, you can just talk about it amongst yourselves. Does South Carolina fit that description? Rhetorical means we move on without an answer. The Ramen Noodle Express is pulling into the station. Before Colin shows you this quickly, what the Ramen Noodle Express is, is our weekly five-pack Colin, pack of picks against the number. I don't brag about this. I'm just telling you we do really good at it. We have documented this for a number of years now. We have our own internal system that is completely divorced of having to rely on anyone else to give us picks. And so what I do at any point during the week that I feel comfortable with the line is I hand them out. On Sunday night, we always give you our favorite best bet for the upcoming week. And I hand it out on the Sunday show. From there, the only thing I can guarantee you is that by the time we go off the air Thursday night, I will have given you the other four. I could drop them all on a Tuesday. I could drop them in one of the podcasts. I could do it. I could do the rest of them on Thursday. Well, it just so happens that as we sit here tonight, we're ready for number two of our weekly five pack in the Ramen Noodle Express. So pull it on in here, Colin, and let's tell the people where we are going. We're headed to South Bend. Look at that fancy graphic Ted put together. That is beyond sexy. Notre Dame is at home this weekend. They're playing South Florida. 
They're laying 25 and a half. Get that number while you can. Probably going to inflate 27, 28 maybe. Uh, I love Notre Dame this week. I know our bud Elliott's on them too. Already got in on them. We're going to get in on them tonight. I love the Irish this week. This is the week for Ian Book. Okay? Not doing it against Clemson. Didn't even do it really against Duke last week. This is the kind of game where they can stretch that passing game a little bit. And they're, they're halfway aggravated last week already that they couldn't stretch Duke even more so than they did. So I doubt South Florida scoring much in this game. I love Notre Dame. Don't think they're taking their foot off the accelerator as much in the second half as you would maybe expect. So the final there, one of those like 38 to 7, you know, 41 to 10 type of games, that's where I like them. We got Notre Dame as a 31-point favorite in our own internal numbers, by the way. So we think there's a nice, solid six-point gap there across a couple of key numbers. And so we love Notre Dame. Also, we had Duke, as you can see, two of the five in the Ramen Noodle Express already exposed there. We had Duke minus six against Boston College. I would strongly encourage you, follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, because there have been times before that I've just put it out there. If I think that a line's going to move and I don't want to wait till the show, may just put it out there. So it's really smart to follow me there just anyway because a lot of stuff, I mean, for all we know, we're about to get off the air and the Big Ten's going to announce they're going to a 14-game season that'll stretch into February. National champion to be crowned on Valentine's Day. Twitter's the place to be for that. So at Late Kick Josh is how to follow me there. Really, really appreciate you guys watching. I've also, before we go off tonight, I want to remind you, I have a ton of college folks, high school folks, and just people who kind of love doing the research-oriented and stat and data and analytics-oriented sides of this, I'm kind of interested in how the behind-the-scenes works. And I've told you, you know, I kind of interact with a lot of you during the week, and some of you perform various roles behind the scenes, and it's just stuff that you would do anyway for fun as a hobby, so you contribute to the show that way. If you're interested in that, hit me up. Colin's got my contact info right there at the bottom of the screen, joshpate706 at gmail.com, at Josh. You can DM me on Twitter. Um, Happy to talk to you about that. I got a number of you that I interact with on a daily basis, and that's a way that folks help the show out behind the scenes. You always ask, how can we help? And every reason or every way I give you is always free. So subscribe if you haven't already. Like the video if you haven't already, and we really appreciate you being here. We'll be back here same time, Thursday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. We will have the remaining three picks at that point, at the very latest, in this week's Ramen Noodle Express. So thank you so much for watching. For Director Colin, for Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. This has been the Late Kick. God bless. Have a great day.